Welcome back to Flex Your Head, another special episode of Scream Therapy. On Flex Your Head, we take a breather from punk rock and mental health and explore classic punk albums, which I guess is good for mental health. On today's episode, we have Nelson from Nelson. How's it going, Nelson? It's going great. What album are we listening to today? We are listening to 1990s Against the Grain by Bad Religion. This is Bad Religion's album that came out in 1990, Against the Grain. It's their fifth album, and the cast of characters is pretty much the same as later years. We've got Greg Graffin on vocals, Brett Gerowitz on guitar and backing vocals. We have Greg Hetson on guitar, Jay Bentley on bass guitar and vocals, and then Pete Finestone on drums. He left after this album. So what are your opening thoughts on this album? I've listened to it like a gajillion times in my life. Yeah, it brings me back to living in Vancouver and skateboarding and being 20 years old. It's got a lot of nostalgia for me, for sure. I'm wondering maybe if we were part of the same scene back then, what years were you in Vancouver? So I would have been there 90 to 94. No no way. We got to talk after (laughs) this is over because I was there 90 to 95. So I'm sure we were in a (laughs) lot of the same shows. I guess for me, this album, Suffer and No Control, were the two albums before this one, and No Control really got into the melodic stuff. But then this album just came out in more beefier production, a lot more harmonies. The songwriting seemed more well-developed, and some of the songs on this album are over three minutes. They're more anthems than the straight-ahead punk rock stuff that maybe was on the first three albums that they put out before, Against the Grain. Yeah, I think when we were discussing what album to do by these guys, I think Against the Grain, for me, really congealed the bad religion sound the harmonies the tight songwriting the hyper intellectual lyrics yeah and they're still using this this sound today with even their more modern albums this is like the bad religion sound that hundreds of other punk bands would go on to copy for sure and i think if i was going to give somebody one of their albums to check out that this would be the one it's kind of the quintessential bad religion album before they went into a bit more commercial sounding stuff of course, they've now circled back to the kind of things they were doing in the in the early 90s and even late 80s, but this is the album for me that would be Here's Bad Religion. I read somewhere that Brett Gerowitz, the guitar player, principal songwriter, said that they recorded this album on a Soundcraft 2400 console, the same console they used for the Suffer and No Control. They beefed it up, and uh, they spent a lot of time recording it. Jay Bentley said that it was basically a lot of second guessing on the album. You listen to it, it's got so much going on with the background vocals, with the texture of it. I mean, I can see this being a big production at the time. There's no other punk album that really had this much gloss, I guess is a good word for it. Yeah, they probably didn't know it, but they sort of congealed their sound. So yeah, there's very obvious songwriting, focus, background vocals. It's interesting to me when they bring in the backup vocals and what lyrics they emphasize. Yeah. You can tell they put a lot of time and thought and effort into recording this rather than just five guys in a room, mics are set up, okay, one, two, three, four, let's go. Yeah. The ooze and the ahs, wasn't that the thing back then? Mm-hmm. Talking about the ooze and the ahs. <laughs> yeah. Lie, lie, lie.
remember the first time you heard this and what you thought of it? Yeah, would have been in Vancouver skating, hanging out with my punk friends. And I'd heard them before and liked it. And I liked this album for sure. Let's talk about some of the songs on the album. We do have 17 songs at 34 minutes. So these songs blaze by. It's about a two minute average per song. Like I said, there are a couple that are over three minutes, but there are also a handful that are under two minutes. Do any songs here stick out for you? I mean, they're all wonderful songs, but is there anything that really drives through for you? Turn On The Light, the second song in the album, really resonated with me. Just about burning brightly. And uh, that's exactly what I was doing at 20 years old in Vancouver. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I remember listening to this album and I would consider myself somewhat of an intellectual. Like I read books and stuff, but I remember hearing some of the lyrics from Greg and wondering what that word meant and like having to look it up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the thesaurus lyric writing genius of Greg yeah. Raffin. Yeah. I don't know where to start with the songs, but I, I guess what really stands out for me is a couple one is 21st century digital boy, which yeah. I think is one of the best punk songs of all time. For sure. What a kicker that one is. I can't believe it. The way you look sometimes Like a trampled flag on a city street Oh yeah And I don't want it And then yeah, the first four or five songs just hit you But I was listening yesterday and trying to like zone in on the tempo on this album And it really, it hits on the beat Like each song that starts is on the same beat as the last So There's a couple of songs that sound like they're just mushed together. They could be the same song, essentially, with different phrasings and lyrics. Yeah. Operation Rescue, for me, has always been a favorite because it's just such an indictment on anti-abortionists in the States. Mm -hmm. Flatter Society, which is all about the guys with their candlesticks and compasses, you know, (laughs) looking for the end of the world. Like, there's just some really (laughs) amazing stuff on here. And lyrically, like, it follows a lot of classic punk themes, like Thinking for Yourself disgust at consumerism yeah and there's also a few songs that touch on environmentalism for sure how we're destroying the planet yeah a lot of it's sort of i hate to say ahead of its time because it's cheesy but it really is you know like stuff that you would hear in a song now and be like okay that makes sense but back then in 1990 a lot of this was unspoken even speaking out an intellectual way against religion is kind of unheard of in that era you know there's always the Mm. obvious kind of like punk rock anti-religion songs but this was You couldn't debate this stuff. He won the debate club in high school, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was looking at YouTube videos with lyrics. My favorite one had descriptions of the big words that Greg used underneath. (laughs) So as it went, there was descriptions. And I was like, oh, that's helpful. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for sure. It's easy to jump into lyrical stuff. But what about the music on some of these songs? Again, I said 21st Century Digital Boy is the one anthem that really sticks out. But there's, there's so many. Yeah, I really like Anesthesia. Yeah. Anesthesia was on a comp CD that I just played and played and played endlessly. Yeah. I really like Faith Alone because it's got this real stagger step to it. It's it's a mid-tempo song, but it's got yeah. a lot of power, but it's also really melodic. And I guess that's the thing about their songwriting is it's kind of everything. You know, like as a thrash metal fan at the time, I still loved it, even though, you know, it's what you might call like weak or whatever. People would be like making fun of it, but it was just it grabbed onto me and so it's got that energy and aggression, but it's also got the melody. It's kind of got everything. This is the album that Propagandi 
heard at some point and really like that was the model for them early on. Call this peace. Not how it seems to me. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, their attention to detail on the album and like the sonic weight of it. If it wasn't so heavy sounding, then again, like you say, maybe even fans would be like, oh, this is like pretty soft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I first heard this album, it was one of the first CDs that I ever bought, actually when CDs first became a thing. I'd never heard anything like this before, so I'd always I'd heard, you know, Minor Threat and COC and the bands that are way more aggressive and this seemed really polished. But I remember thinking it was from the Maritimes. <laughs> I don't know why. It's something about like <laughs> the oohs and the ahs and the it sounded like they could all be, you know, sung from a lighthouse or something. And to know that they're from California just seems such a weird way that my brain processed this. But the vocals themselves do have that maritime y sing song y kind of <laughs> feel to them. You know, he's not doing a lot of screaming. Bit of a shanty Yeah, vibe. there you go. A shanty vibe. <laughs> One of the things that I did want to touch on was Blenderhead, where the song just cuts. And I've always thought that was a mistake and through my whole years, or I always thought the tape player was shut off or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a weird one. It's not even the place where you think a song would end. Your confusion's a life-affirming sign. Break from tradition and carry on with valor and feel those flywheels turn your blender. Hey, yeah. And yeah, it's pretty fast. And they do like a modulation in the pre-chorus that is interesting. And then, yeah, like you say, the song just ends. Jay Bentley said, that song was recorded on tape, quote unquote, and as such, we spliced a strip of leader tape on the very last beat of the song, cutting out any ringing cymbals, guitars, or tapists, just blank. But I don't know if it's the last beat on the song. Maybe? It feels like it's right in the middle of the... <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to argue with the yeah, guy. But... <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think it was exact. <laughs> no. And then another thing, too, is the 21st Century Digital Boy, which is at that point was one of their most approachable kind of mainstream sounding songs, if you will, was re-recorded for Stranger Than Fiction in 1994, which was their major label debut. So that's kind of cool that they redid that. It's sort of like when Green Day re-recorded Welcome to Paradise on Dookie, mm-hmm. you know, grab the old song, let's try it in the major label market. Mm-hmm. With money. <laughs> <laughs> 21st Century Schizoid Man. It's kind of a take on that Kim Crimson song. Mm-hmm. Very telling of, of where we're at now with their digital media and, and how we relate to the digital world. And the line in there, I don't want it. The things you're offering me. Symbolized barcode, quick ID. That's where we're at right now. <laughs> yeah. And they also sort of name check their other two albums, No Control and Suffer. Kind of a interesting lyrical throwback. He was quoted as saying, I didn't care about concision at all, and I really just wanted to try to get as many vocabulary words as possible into a song. And he succeeded. Mission complete, <laughs> Mission complete. Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on the lyrics? I mean, we could go all day on them, but uh, there's some real gems in there. 
yeah well from that song in particular i don't know how to read but i got a lot of toys Mm -hmm. consumerism is a theme that he's still writing about yeah entropy is always a song that i enjoyed and even though the vibe is sort of secretly nihilistic or something (laughs) (laughs) of that song uh, which i always found interesting because of course greg is uh, an evolutionary biologist and zoologist and has his master's in geology phd so yeah he is very educated and knows about the evolution of species and his conclusion is that we're probably doomed <laughs> <laughs> surprise surprise yeah he was interviewed in a zine called diffuser and he said that against the grain the album was all about how you have to challenge the structure of science and art to make progress that's the theme of the album which makes a lot of sense Mm-hmm. Now I go back and just really dig into every single word and understand where he's coming from and not even in a, like a studious way, but just it's there now for me to, to hear it clearly. Mm-hmm. You can tell consciously is sort of providing food for thought. Exactly. It's a cliche, but he's bringing up concepts and words that make someone think, or hopefully, I'm sure that was his intention. A couple of notes, the album sold over 100,000 copies, which is huge and, of course, unheard of now in this day and age, but back then it was huge. And they never went on any kind of TV programs or had any mainstream radio promotion. It was all underground uh, in the punk scene and then throughout. And I think part of the reason why this was such a good-selling album is it was an introductory to a lot of different styles. So you could hand it to somebody mm-hmm. and say, hey, check this out. They're going to hand mm-hmm. it around. And I think that's why it became such a huge success and of course from there other albums that are on epitaph records that are label sold millions Mm -hmm. five six seven years later yeah when the sort of beginnings of when punk became cool exactly yeah it did really well in the press a lot of people gave really good reviews there was one from all music that said bad religion has always warned against the excesses of the future and the assimilation of individuality but the gospel cut deeper with Against the Grain. Songs began in an instant with a single crack of a snare drum signaling the beginning of another screed. Mm-hmm. Pretty much says it all. <laughs> yep. The drummer, Pete Finestone, left after the album and went on to a band called The Fishermen, which I never really heard. Did you check them out at all? No. His drum style was very, even though it was rapid fire in the faster punk songs, he had a really cool, there's the part, I believe it's at the end of Anesthesia, where it kind of goes into this reggae kind of break down outro of that song is really interesting and kind of a bit grungy before grunge sort of came to the head a couple of years later and then yeah the reggae and like the delay that's unexpected and i like the fact that they like fugazi and other punk bands that we love they kind of push the boundaries they color outside the line sometimes yeah in 1992 the album after against the green called generator I remember not really understanding 
it in some ways. It definitely went a bit left field. Looking back mm. on it now, it sounds really cool, but but it was a departure. And I don't know if it was necessarily the fact that Pete left the band and they brought in a new drummer named Bobby Scher, but there was a definite left turn there. And do you remember what you thought of that album when it came out? I seem to remember the same where it was like, oh, this wasn't like the albums before it and a bit of a stretch. I think in later years, like you, I, I grew to appreciate that. Yeah. Which is true of many bands that last for a while and color outside the lines. Sometimes it doesn't work for me. Yeah. But then in later years, I'll be like, oh, okay. I, I Now I kind of understand what you were trying to do there. And they progressed from the beginning. It's It's almost as if they wanted to really push the boundaries of what they were doing with punk rock. I mean, the very first one is let's call it traditional LA area, kind of rough and tumble, Agent Orange, TSOL style punk rock. Yep. Then you're getting into Suffer, which really amped it up and became its kind of its own thing. No Control was like another mind blower at the time. It, there was nothing else that sounded like that because it was so fast and so melodic. And then now with this album, Against the Grain, One More Step, it's like they're really being like, we're going to make a concerted effort. Every album is going to be better than the next. It's going to be different. It's going to be more polished, more precise. And that's a really mm. cool thing, right? Because not a lot of bands do that. And if they do, it's a way kind of departure, like band like Bad Brains, like they just kind of go all over the place. And whereas these guys were set and they're still doing it. I mean, they still mm -hmm. sound like Bad Religion. There's never like a total departure. Except didn't they do a Christmas EP? <laughs> we're not talking about that. <laughs> okay, <yeah>. Christmas is <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. We're all forgetting about that. That was awful. Like that was so bad. But anyways. <laughs> The cover of this album was done by a woman named Joy Aoki, and she also did The Offspring's Ignition and Down by Law's first album. Her artwork is amazing with the cornfield and the little bomb that comes out of one of the cobs of corn. Mm -hmm. Such an iconic image. Mm -hmm. I really want that t-shirt after getting back into this album. Yeah. The original painting used to be at Epitaph in their offices there. There's some photos of Greg Hetson sitting in front of the painting doing an interview. But now it's actually part of the Punk Rock Museum. And I think you've been down there, yeah? Yes, indeed. Uh, I went down and I finally got to see Bad Religion for the first time. Oh, amazing. And we went to the Punk Museum, which I highly recommend to everybody. Did they play songs off this album? Uh, yeah, they played a few. The hits. The hits. <laughs> There's an amazing story. It's kind of almost like lore in the punk world. In a big takeover interview... Jay and Brett said that uh, the keyboard player for Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, his name is Roy Batan, he walked into Epitaph one day and said the band should re-release Against the Green, and he would produce it and rewrite the songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. In my research, I, it just said a member of the E Street Band, but it didn't say which member, so I was like, who, Clarence Clemens? Like, no. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say they did not follow his, uh, they did not take his offer. No. I wanted to ask you, Nelson, about your thoughts on the album from a guitar player perspective, because you've played guitar for so long and you've been in punk bands. I'm guessing probably some inspiration here, but what are your thoughts on the guitar playing on Against the Green? Yeah, it's great. And they do a lot of interesting two-guitar interplay between both of them. And yeah, the solos are a blueprint for many, many other bands that came after them. Here's 12 bars, and this is what you do in a punk solo. Okay, 
pretty accomplished. I mean, the whole band is. It's not your standard, just play it loud and fast and we're good. There's some thought into it and you can tell what are we doing on this one? Who's taking the solo? It's a really full, rich Gibson into a Marshall sound for sure. Can you think of any other album that just comes out of the gate with a guitar solo like Modern Man? It's just mm. hilarious. The first like 30 seconds of the song is full on wailing guitar solo. Yeah. And typically that's something that previous generations of punks would sneer at yeah oh you're a guitar player but for me i always again like the punk bands that we love i think it really pushes the genre and maybe gets some more respect that otherwise other punk bands just playing bar chords wouldn't get yeah a jazz musician or a metal guitar player is not going to be interested by just fast power chords but on something like this very melodic soloing two guitars sort of interplaying with each other that can interest a lot more people the bass playing on the album by jay bentley is pretty amazing too There's some really cool bass runs where he hits the distortion and he's right there in the, in the foreground. I love that kind of thing. I've always been stoked on bands that have really prominent bass players, except for Rush. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Getty. <laughs> but yeah, that really adds to the sound as well. And I agree with you. It's having those dueling tar players. That's pretty sweet. Let's call them the Iron Maiden mm. of punk rock. Yeah. How do you feel about doing some YouTube comments? Yes, let's do it. The classic. This one's by Kareem Radaday, 7616, and it was one year ago. Just found this, and I'm stunned and will keep this album in a tab until I die. <laughs> <laughs> you could buy it on vinyl. Could, yeah. Could you imagine just finding this for the first time now and realizing it was recorded in 1990? Yeah. Some people don't have music-obsessive friends, and they don't see it, but sometimes they do, and be like my kid who started his own punk band. <laughs> this one's from Ye Farts 108, two years ago. Greg Graffin's voice is one of my favorites. It's hard to describe. I consider it transcendental because it's all of the above. I think Greg Graffin wrote this. There's a lot of big words. <laughs> Sagacious, jovial, questioning, sometimes aggressive, sorrowful, etc. So many emotions, just beautiful overall. Yes, highly intelligent, with rapid-fire thesauric syllables, and still relevant today more than ever. I'm pretty sure he wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> Sagacious. I've never heard that word. We need the I don't. Know we need the YouTube means. video with the descriptions <laughs> or definitions below. This one is Lesser God Please, and it was 10 years ago. Last time I saw them, someone threw a harmonica on stage during anesthesia, and they stopped and played a little country and western, then blew back into anesthesia. <laughs> have liked to have seen That's that. hilarious. And one more here. Murdlore won 11 years ago. This album is the classic Bad Religion album. It blew me away when I was 15, and it still blows me away at 32. I just listened to it speeding down the highway. It's fucking relentless. <laughs> That's what I did yesterday. I was driving down the highway, and I just had it cranked. Mm -hmm. Perfect yeah. album for the car. What are your final thoughts on the album? It's a certified punk classic. Definitely part of any chronological punk history 
because as we touched on before, it gelled the sound of Bad Religion, but then also influenced hundreds of other bands that didn't come from California. Their blueprint is still being used today. For me, it's a perfect album, just banger after banger, front to back. It's kind of the blueprint for melodic punk rock in a lot of ways, especially from Mm -hmm. that side of the country. It's just such a huge trailblazer of an album. And I don't know if you can really be a melodic punk fan and not have at least one of their first two or three albums in in your collection. It would be a crime if you didn't. (laughs) Yeah. Very intellectual for a genre of music that is often derided for being stupid and caveman-like and unintellectual. There's a lot of concepts that are brought up, the food for thought. Yeah. Well, we know the truth about punk rock. We have to spread that truth. Yes. So Scream Therapy HQ is the place to check out all of the podcasts and some information about my book, which is called Scream Therapy, A Punk Journey Through Mental Health, which came out in May, and you should definitely grab a copy of that. ScreamTherapyHQ.com. You can find more episodes of Flex Your Head. We've done almost 20 now, including a couple with Nelson. And you can also go there and check out the main podcast, which is called Scream Therapy, and is about punk rock and mental health. So lots of stuff there at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. Drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks a lot for talking to me about this album today, Nelson. I wish we could be here for three hours. (laughs) Always a pleasure. Yeah, we'll have to have you come back sometime and probably just do another Bad Religion album. (laughs) Or something else. Or something else. All right, thanks a lot. I'm not sure, but I think that he was trying He told me about the weather and something on the pain But tomorrow he said I'm gonna surely walk away, walk away I'll be afraid and I'll be determined And no one can just wait on my way I'll take my sweet time and burn all the bridges that I'm leaving behind Shut your head!